In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. It was meet to make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In sermons about the uh, parable of the prodigal son, we usually focus on the younger son who who went away, and we talk about God's grace and is receiving him upon his return. But I want to talk a little bit today about the older son, sort of three observations we can make about, about him, apply them to, to our faith and understanding. First, we should understand that the parable of the prodigal son is Jesus describing what's going on in Israel during his ministry. He, he came to call Israel to repent, to, to turn away from sin and to put faith in him and follow him. And by and large, those who were doing that in Israel were the marginal uh, Jewish people, that marginal in terms of their religious practice. They're, these were the non-observant Jews, and that like the tax collectors, and, and uh, those who were labeled sinners. They were labeled sinners because they weren't following the Torah and therefore didn't have the formal designation of righteous. So Jesus said, follow me, and, and they were following him, and he was having meals with them, and they were having parties, celebrating. And those who had been the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Israel, didn't really like this. They expected that when the Messiah come, came, he would pat them on the back, tell them how good they were doing, and, and sort of shame all the sinners like they did. So it's a description of what's happening in Jesus' ministry, and it... It reflects something, it's a pattern in all organizations, actually, that the long-standing members always feel entitled and always begrudge the new people coming in. You see it generationally. What we, we think, we always look at the younger generation, all those younger people. Turns out, I think that's been pretty much about human history. Those who have been around a long time look down on those who just got there. So the, the thing about that the parable reveals is the church is supposed to be a different place. The church exists primarily for those who are not yet its members. If all the people who are going to become part of the church were there, then Jesus would come, we'd be done. So we exist as a missionary organization to open up to the new people coming in. And when we adopt those kinds of attitudes that, you know, we've been here so long and you don't deserve to be here, we reflect a worldliness that doesn't be, is not befitting of the gospel. And that's been a problem with traditionalists on occasion. I've seen it happen. <laughs> churches, you know, we've been practicing this faith for 20, 30 years, and, 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 and the ministry of church becomes, how do we keep the door closed? How do we make it hard for people to come in? rather than, than existing for the benefit of those and finding ways to open doors to share with those coming in what we ourselves have. So that's, I think, one uh, thing that the, the parable highlights. Another, uh, I think, profound point of the parable is that at the end of the parable, the older son finds himself on the outside of his father's house, and this is by his own choice. A lot of people say things like, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell, or, or I can't believe in a God, you know, fill in the blank. I can't, all these reasons that people pass judgment on God and refuse to come into his house, 
the Father's house because they have weighed the, God's actions in some way and found them wanting. Um, I can't believe in a God who would, you know, in the Old Testament, allow the slaughter of the Canaanites. So I can't believe in a God who would. There's always some way, people, we, we fill in those blanks. There's something about the scriptures, the revelation of God that we find uh, inadequate. And, and so that keeps us, but notice that's a choice we can't accept what God is doing, so therefore we stay away from what God is doing. And so when people say, I can't believe God would send people to hell, ultimately this is a personal choice to either surrender to God and his love and his will or to stay outside of the house. And we should note that the movement in the parable is all a, a free will movement of the two sons. One son says, I don't want to be in your house, I'm going. Paul says, okay, go, sorry, see you go. And, and we willingly came back, the father embraced him. And then the older son, I don't want to be in your house now if you can have guests like this. So C.S. Lewis has a collection of essays, or a particular essay called God in the Dock, where he said, we explained how the modern world has turned around the traditional way of looking at, at uh, we used to think in the medieval world and before that God was judge, and we were the ones being judged. So we came before God, realizing we had to change how we're behaving to, to fit with God's requirements. The modern world has turned that around. We, we sit in the judgment seat, and we judge God. We, we pass our judgment. We don't like God doing this, that, and the other thing. And we should just be aware of what we're doing when we do that. <laughs> God is the judge. We are putting ourselves outside. And we don't always understand what God is doing in life. But we're called to trust. We trust that if we trust God, we follow God, he'll make clear in his good time what he's doing and why he's doing it. But we are the ones who must conform to his will and pattern. We, we don't, he's not going to conform to ours. And the third point that the parable makes is, with the older son, is that, that God's love is not a zero-sum game. And this is part of the, the older son's complaint. You know, I've been here all this time, and you never gave me a party, and now you give him a party. Well, th there's something in that attitude that says, if you're not, in your long-term practice of the faith, if it's not full of joy and celebration, you ought to look at that. And it would have been any problem if, if the older son had said to the father, hey, you might have a party Friday night, invite my friends over and celebrate how good it is to be in this house. You know, but, but I think what happens that tends to happen in the practice of the faith over time is the initial joy of repentance and faith and, and love and, and lightness in God's presence becomes this heavy faith, you know, where, where we, we see religion as a drudgery, a duty. We fulfill it and we get grumpy and miserable and we want everyone else to be as grumpy and miserable as we are. So everyone's being happy, what do you, you know? And, 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 and so we have to be aware of that attitude. God's love is not a zero-sum game. God has enough love to, to bestow upon those who've been faithful for long periods of time, who've persevered, and, and God rejoices in that. And he also has enough love for the brand new person to come in and, and to, be, to, be, to be joyous about that. And so I, I think one thing we, we can really take away from the parable is to say it's, it's like a barometer of our faith. If we really understand God's love, if we've experienced it, and if we're experiencing it now, we will want to share that with others. We'll be happy when the new person comes in. 
And this is, reflects in God's nature as Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And St. Augustine explained it, uh, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the love that flows between them and out from them into the world and creative activity. It's always a fullness. When you have love, the love of God, you always want to share it. It always multiplies itself. And when you find yourself holding on to it, hoarding it, you're falling back into uh, fallenness, into a demonic take on love. This is mine and you can't have it. Um, that jealousy, uh, that, that and, you know, and one story that we, we can refer to regarding these two brothers, maybe the first two brothers, Cain and Abel. What, what, did Cain, what did Cain say? The good you gave to my brother, I begrudge. God has said to Cain, hey, just clean up your act, it'll be fine. Well, no, I'm mad because you were good to him and weren't good to me. There's enough of God's love to go around. And so if we truly experience God's love, Trinitarian love in our life, that we, receive, we are received by God graciously, our sins are forgiven, we can't help but want to share that with others. And that is the very motive of, of evangelism. That's, we talk about the life of prayer. The prayer fills us with the fullness of God. And when you have that fullness, you can't help but share it with others want to share it with others. And if you don't find that going on within your faith, it's, it's a good time for a little self-examination. It is meet to make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.